It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Guys, we have a unique episode for you today. Um, We're taking the money guy on the road. And this is the first time, I think, right? First time we've ever done a show like this. I know we did. When we started doing coaching podcasts right. with advisor skills, we always did that on the road. But this is the first time, especially from Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, um, up here in Nashville, hanging hanging out in my, uh, my stomping grounds. Well, what's going on, guys? Just to give you an update, and then I'm going to jump into what we're actually covering today is that, you know, last year was the year of the big gift. 2014 was the year we wanted to raise money for autism awareness. We um we sent that to close out the end of the 2014, but we we couldn't get it on the calendar to actually come up here and take some some pictures, meet the people we were sending the money to. So that's actually going to occur tomorrow morning. So over the next few days, you're going to start seeing some um, pictures up of that that check ceremony where we're going to give out some free T-shirts and help out Autism Tennessee. So Autism Tennessee is who we decided to end up helping out. Um, for the autism awareness, as you guys know, if you haven't gone and checked it out, go to money-guy.com, hit the shop button, and you'll see all the great Money Guy merchandise that we put out there. And 100% of the proceeds, even the cost of the material, went to support autism awareness as well as support services for those people. And the beneficiary of that entire program, the Big Give, was Autism Tennessee. So I really appreciate their help and um, supporting us on putting all that together, too. So what are we going to be talking about today? Guys, Bo and I, because he, we, I knew I was coming up here, so we packed up the, the equipment. I wanted to be about something that, that hits us close, something about life. And Bo has been up in Nashville now for a little over six months. Yep. And if you guys don't know, I did the podcast on Dave Grohl and the Sonic Highways. And I think when he did the, the Nashville episode, one of the first things he says is that Nashville right now might be the coolest city in America. And as a result, real estate is booming up here where <laughs> Bo lives. So, And he's got some things going on we'll be sharing in the next few months. He's got a lot of things going on in his life where we're trying to figure things out to, to make his landing as easy as possible on the housing side of things. So we start talking about, do you rent forever? Do you buy? I mean, how does it work out? And Bo and I are kind of on different sides of the table with this. I think, um, and, and it, it goes back to that whole, you have to know where your blind spots are. I pick on Bo because he came out in 2008 from college. And so he's kind of a pessimist on some things. And then I came out in the uh, mid-90s. Let's call it more conservative. He might just err on the conservative, conservative. side. Conservative. Whereas I go. came out in the mid-90s where we all know that's the whole Cowboys. Alan Greenspan, irrational exuberance. So it's a little different worldviews on how things are going to work out. I just kind of say, oh, I'll be okay, because, you know, I have that eternal optimist, I guess you'd say. So Bo is going to be, I guess if we were debating this, and we don't, I don't know that there's necessarily a right or wrong answer, and I think that's probably the first disclaimer I need to put on today's show. Talking about homeownership, whether renting or owning is, is the right thing for you. Do you need to rent where the place you stay, or do you need to own it? We're going to talk about the pluses and minuses on both sides. I think at the end of the day, I wouldn't have you do anything you couldn't afford in the long term. Sure. And that's the thing is it might feel uncomfortable, 
but I want you to make sure you can truly afford whatever decision you make. Because I'm going to go in a minute, I'm going to put a hard sell on Bo on why I think home ownership is great. But at the end of the day, I think he knows you have to pull out the spreadsheet. You have to go through the numbers, make sure it truly works. And I think that's the, the best thing I can start this off. Before we jump in, Bo, I feel like I need to give the the, the, the intro. Who we are and why yeah, we're here. Yeah, I mean, this is the Money Guy Show. We are in a new year. We're in you know January, closing out the month of January here. And we might have a lot of people have brand new gadgets and equipment, and they, they found our, our podcast and said, hey, who are these guys? they got a lot of reviews, and a lot of people are supporting them. Let me see what's going on. So let me give you the background. Go to the website, money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'm sitting across from Mr. Bo Hansen. By day, we're feeling wealth managers. And what's really interesting, you know, we have been doing this for going on close to a decade now, of going beyond common sense, helping you restore order to your financial chaos. And it's been really fulfilling. We're have, we have that heart of an educator that we just feel like we have so much to share. We're, we're pushing that information out to you. So go out to money-guy.com. If you want to connect with us on all the other social media, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. You can get all the details on the website. Even register for, just give us your email address, and that way you'll be part of the Tightwad Nation movement where we can share any of the updates we're doing as we're going through more information and shooting out new episodes. So let's jump into this thing. Okay. Bo, here's what I did. And I don't know how to, you know, if we were doing a debate type event. P- point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. Yeah, I mean, and, and I didn't do it that way. That's why I think we'll probably just go have a dialogue. Okay. And, and I th- I'm going to do your job partially in the beginning because I, I, I'm a realist about this thing. So I want to kind of talk about the emotional side of home ownership, but also the realist of how you have to clear those emotions. So sure. here, let me jump in with the emotion and then we'll talk about the rental side. The excitement of the journey. What I mean by the excitement of the journey, and this is why I think people like homeownership is that every house is just a piece of your fabric of what makes up your life. It is, you know, I think about it, every house I've bought, I'm working on three houses now. Everyone's been a stretch to me. Like if you ask me at the time that I bought each house, I was scared to death about it because this was a big life decision that I was making. But the journey was very exciting and it's been very fulfilling in the fact that it's it's been great that this is where I brought my daughters home when they were born. This is where me and my wife have many memories. Um, this is where I built some like uh, my, my first house. I built a swing uh, when I changed jobs. I built a swing. I, it's it's still incredible. I drive by this house every now and then. Every few years, I go by just to see if the swing's still there. Right. Pretty cool that something that I uh, you know in a week between transitioning between careers, um, I built the swing. It's still standing. People are still using it. That's cool to me. Planted a magnolia tree. When I bought it, it was like in a three-gallon container. Um, put it in the ground. It's cool to go back. And, you know, it's been 15, 20 years now. It's kind of cool to see that that thing is like 25 feet tall now. Yeah, absolutely. So it, there are some cool life things. And then this is my piece of the planet. I mean, I feel like when you go and buy something, as long as I pay my real estate taxes... The government lets me keep this portion of the planet. It's your, your plot of the land. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do a little bit of your work on give you the counter argument because I think this is important. The problem with housing that I have, and I just want to be honest with our listeners, it will cause you to spend more money. Okay. I mean, when you buy a home, the utilities are going to cost you more money. Mm-hmm. When you buy a home, the insurance is going to be higher on a, a, a 
residential real piece of property than it is if you're just buying renter's insurance. Furniture. You got more room usually, oh, so yeah. you know what happens. Your significant other is going to have you out there shopping for more furniture, and that fights against those tight, wide nature roles that you have. Now, I've got other things that I wanted to talk about, but I felt like after I've talked about the emotional side, I want to give you a chance to jump in with why you think renting is the right thing, and then I'm going to come back and hit you with the one-two punch of some of the analytics I calculated out. Yeah, absolutely. So at the very top of my list, the biggest reason why I said that renting might make sense given your circumstance is flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. That's true. Once you buy a house... You are pretty much, it, it's your plot of land, but you are dropping anchor and saying, you know what, this huge obligation, I'm going to saddle myself to it. And, and what we advise our clients and other people we talk to is if you buy a home, especially like a primary residence, it should be at least a five, seven, ten year purchase. That's what I was going to say six to seven six years. Six to seven. Because so, the real estate transactions eat you alive if exactly. you're trying to do a round trip. I mean, you got to figure it's going to be several percentage points each way mm-hmm. on buying and selling. So you definitely, you need to be in it long enough to recoup those costs. So when you rent, there are minimal acquisition costs. You may have to do a security deposit or pay one month rent up front. And then when you leave a rental situation, same thing. You may have to pay a month if you break a lease or you just let your lease run out and, and you move. Um, so pretty easy, bearish to entry, bearish to exit. The other big benefit, in addition to flexibility, that I saw with renting is it is low maintenance. I'm kind of ripping off a local, uh, I think he's a local Atlanta attorney. One call, that's all, when it comes to renting. <laughs> Water heater goes out, you make a phone call. Uh, window breaks, you make a phone call. Dishwasher goes out, make a phone call. That is tremendously valuable. Having been a homeowner who bought a home, and in the first year I owned that home, had some issues with the heating and air conditioning unit, had to replace those things. It was all on me. I couldn't call the guy who sold me the house and say, hey, you stinker, come come fix this. It was on me. I bought the thing. Um, so low, low maintenance for renting. Um, you, you hit on some of the stuff that I, that, that I had on my list, too. It's easier to decorate when you rent because generally speaking, now unless you're renting a home that's comparable to a home you would own, it's uh, smaller, so you have less room to accumulate things. Uh, it's generally less expensive to rent. So in my mind, if you're saving for purchasing a home one day, renting right now frees up some cash flow to save for that future big real estate purchase. Um, and then I, I said that kind of the mathematics that I came out to is if you live in an area where your rent and your mortgage are equivalent, if it's going to cost about the same to rent versus the same to own, there probably mathematically is a, is a, a justification for owning a home once you get past the flexibility factor, once you get past the maintenance factor. If you're in a situation where it's much lower cost to rent, meaning that you're in an area like Nashville, uh, like Williamson County where I live, where the median home price is higher than in other parts of the country, it becomes a more difficult mathematical justification to say, it makes more sense to own right now than to rent. Because if you actually look at the math, the bigger that difference is, the longer you have to be in the house to break even from the entry costs, exit costs, and then who knows what the real estate market's going to do. At least where we're both from on the south side of Atlanta, real estate is kind of a fiscal mistress in terms of it doesn't always do what you think it's going to do. Um, so those are just some of the thoughts, some little tidbits I put down 
for why it might make sense to rent over owning. And I, and I think that, you know, the equate, the way I could put this, we deal with financial assets all the time and there is no buying real estate is definitely a financial asset. And what do we tell people? You know, I have people come up all the time saying, where should I put my money? And the first thing I say is, when do you need that money back? Right. I mean, that is the first thing, you know, because I've made the joke. I've heard it on many a podcast where I've had people who are making big life transitions, whether they're saving for an engagement ring, saving for a house down payment, just saving for things. And then I say, well, when do you need that money? And they'll say, well, I need it in the next two years. I'm like, well, you can't put that in the stock market. Are you crazy? You can't put that in the bond market. You need to go find you a you know, CD, money market, right. something that's going to give you a nice yield. But the security of the principal is going to be paramount and top of the food list of what's important on this thing. Well, I think res, you know, real estate is just like when you're, when I ask that question of investing, I say, can you give, walk away from this asset for five to seven years to make sure that you're a long-term investor? Real estate is an illiquid investment. And Bo, you, you just said it, flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. So if you can't make a, a commitment to something for five to seven years, meaning that maybe you're in flux on your career, you just don't know how well your career is going to make it in a city. I don't, I wouldn't recommend home ownership. If you're in a, and if you're, you know, if you want to have the easiest way to pick up and move across country, don't go buy real estate because real estate, like I said, is illiquid and you might get caught in a bad market. And it's not speed and time is not your friend, meaning that if you want to sell, it might take a few months. So these things definitely take away the flexibility. So you do not want to do this transaction unless you have a five to seven year period that you can walk away from the money that it takes. And then, you know, you're going to be stable in this area. And that that includes even life planning decisions like having children, right? You don't want to purchase a home now if you know that maybe five years from now you might have a few extra bodies in the household, right? Uh, I mean, kind of differ in that a little bit. Remember, I just told you this is where the house that I brought my daughter's home to. There is some emotional ties to, to ownership. I mean, because you're, you're making, you can do it, and I'm going to get it. I think that's probably a great transition point for me to talk about the benefits of home ownership. And I'll let you, just like I've piled in on some of your stuff, I want you to feel free that you can jump in. I want to talk about the boring stuff first, the tax benefits, because everybody thinks, yeah, you buy a house, this is going to be great for taxes. And it's true. You know, I tell people all the time, if you're, if you're uh, an income, if you have multiple children and your income is 120,000 or less, home ownership is the bomb because you don't have to worry about alternative minimum taxes. Actually, you can even push it up a little higher, probably closer to 150,000. You know, Home mortgage interest deduction is an incredible thing, especially with interest rates being 4%. I mean, if you guys have not been paying attention to what's going on with the 10-year treasury right now, which is what a lot of mortgages are tied to, your traditional 15- and 30-year mortgages are tied to those that 10-year treasury to know what's going on with rates, it has plummeted. The price of oil diving down as much as it has has really taken away a lot of the inflation risk. And a lot of people, also the stock market's been a little volatile mm-hmm. so far in 2015. So when people fly to quality and go to bonds, it pushes down those yields on that 10-year treasury. And as a result, mortgage rates are sick, cheap right now. We were doing some pre-show prep and I actually spoke with a lender uh, earlier today. And she told me that rates on 30-year conventional mortgages today actually hit 3.625. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's historically, 
cheap. I mean, and you add the mortgage interest deduction. I mean, and I, I didn't do this on the phone, but I mean, but before when we were doing prep, but if you did take um, 3.625 and then do 0.75, because if you had a 25% tax rate, you know, effective, mm-hmm. I mean, what does that come out that's to be? That's a 2.7% I mean, you're running effective a, That's a rate. pretty low historic interest rate. So tax-wise, mortgage deductions are great. The property taxes, you get to take, you know, truthfully, I don't know if that's a benefit because you didn't have property taxes, right. but you are paying property taxes even when you rent because realize your landlord is not a charity, so he's charging the property taxes through it, but it's it's nice that you have another deductible expense. Capital gain exclusion. Guys, you guys that are builders or in the real estate marketplace, what an incredible opportunity that you get to hide two to $500,000 every two years if you wanted to, if you're in the right marketplace, because realize... You live in a house for two years, and it's your primary residence for two out of the last five years. If you're a single person, $250,000 worth of gains are tax-free. If you're a married couple, up to $500,000 of capital gains are tax-free. Now, here's the key part. Gains. You've got to be in a, a, in a, a situation in an where area it makes money. where the houses are appreciating. Now, I will tell you, I live in a house that I bought in 2003, I have obviously lived in it now for over 10 years. It is still worth less than I paid for it. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Fortunately, I've been on a 15-year mortgage, so I prepaid all my negative mm-hmm. equity. So I, you know, I have actual equity in this house. But it is something when you get into normal historical times when real estate is appreciating, which I think we've come through that hard part, it is nice to have that tax-free game. So that's the boring stuff. I guess I'll add a little bit, a few more boring things. Inflation hedge. Everybody talks oh, about yeah. they're worried about, you know, what happens when interest rates who are, that are so cheap right now start going up. You know what a great inflation hedge is? Your house. Um, I can remember my parents bought their house in 1978. The house that I was raised in was bought in 1978 for $60,000. Wow. It's now worth probably over 200, close to 250, $260,000. You know, it's gone up over 400%. If you annualize that out by just doing, you know, time value of money, it comes out to be about 4% a year. Not too bad. I mean, that's not, that's, I mean, but realize that it's leveraged return mm-hmm. too. Cause here's the thing is that you're making 4%, but the, the truth is you got this asset for without putting much money down. And then as it makes money, it's, it's not that bad. It's actually, this is the, one of the benefits of using leveraged. Because you got into a bigger asset for not much money. Now, it does cut you the other way if it goes down in value. But historically, real estate is a pretty stable asset class to invest in. Another really cool thing, and this is kind of going to help make your point a little more, is it's a use asset, right? So how many use assets increase in value over time? I mean, the one we think about most often is like an automobile. The more you use it, the less it's worth. A house kind of works the other way. Yeah, it is because the land usually goes up in value, and if you location, 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 you hit the right place. How often do you see in, in really high high market areas where you get a great location where people want the land more than they want the house right. sometimes? So that's a very big benefit. Here's something. I did some really quick math. I thought this was interesting. I said, let's just take somebody who buys a $200,000 home. Okay. Um, did some basic you know, interest rate somewhere around 4% or something. I calculated that the monthly mortgage principal and interest payment was $948 a month. I said, okay, let's just assume it goes up that 4%, just like my parents' house per year. So after the first year, 
it's worth 208000 after year two, because remember, you have to own it for two years to sell it for tax-free gain. Um, it was second year is worth $216,320. Um, you decide, okay, let's figure out how much it costs me to live in this house. So I took $948 a month. Now, this is taking out the insurance and sure. that, all that. Let's Real just look at the principal math. and interest. $948 a month times 24 months is 22522 Well, remember, I said it's gone up 4% mm-hmm. a year. So my actual cost, if you think about it, it's appreciated $16,320. My actual net cost was $6,202. If you divide that by 24... Living in that house only cost me two hundred and fifty eight dollars a month. And that's not that's not putting in tax benefits right, yeah. or anything else. As long as you're in a normal appreciating economy of three to four percent, houses do pretty good on covering their costs just because it's a leveraged asset that you didn't have to put a ton of money in and it's going up that four percent. But if you look at that four percent on what you've actually put in, it's actually much greater rate of return, and as, as you just said, Bo, it's a use asset. Mm-hmm. So it's something you're actually using that's giving you shelter, that's um, building memories, some some cool things there. Um, I thought this was interesting. Long term, I think buying is better than renting. And, and in the short term, I will tell you there's a lot of times that you can rent in a marketplace cheaper than you can buy in that marketplace. Sure. But it reminds me when I graduated college, I was so excited. I graduated from the University of Georgia, and um, I was an accounting major. I had my first job in Atlanta. Well, actually, out in Marietta, but we were, we decided to rent an apartment in Buckhead. Oh, we'll which, be in the thick of things. Oh, and everybody in Atlanta knows if you know that's kind of that was especially back in the nineties and mid nineties. Buckhead bar scene was incredible, and I was so excited. This shows how crazy we were. We were on the Marta bus line, so nice. we could our apartment. We could walk up the hill, catch Marta, and go down to the the Buckhead bar scene. Really cool stuff. Probably the sad thing is, I think I only used that twice. (laughs) But at the time, me and my buddies, when we were looking at it, because I had two other roommates. It was a three-bedroom apartment. My portion, and what's funny is I had the master bedroom of this three-bedroom apartment. I had my own private bathroom. And I, but I agreed to pay more than all the others. They were paying either three fifty to four hundred, and I was the big spender because I had the big accounting job. So I was paying four eighty a month. I, I still remember I was paying four eighty a month. That sounds so cheap now. That, that does sound that, really, really but cheap. The, but at the time, I thought that was a lot of money. I remember coming home and I was talking to my parents and I said, you know, my portion of the of the rent is four eighty a month, and there and my dad was like, do you know what our mortgage is? I was like, no, you know, because this is my my childhood house. Right. You know, it's probably twenty six to twenty seven hundred square feet. Got a nice basement that my dad restored old cars in. Had a swimming pool in the backyard that you know, I, I had great memories as a child. He's like, son, our our mortgage payment is three hundred and sixty dollars a month. So you were paying more for one third of. I mean, our our condo. I mean, well, our townhouse or apartment, whatever we were renting. Was probably all of twelve, thirteen hundred square feet. Cl- I mean, so it, it was kind of interesting. I mean, so I just over the long term, and it's just like you hear Warren Buffett stories that he bought his first house still living in right. it. I think that there is some benefit in the long term to home ownership. And then I put some some anecdotal things that I think is just like Bo. I've been staying at your place for mm-hmm. for a day or so. I can hear upstairs. You got some uh, some 
Olympic trainees. I mean, they're obviously training for something <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night. Um, you know, I remember when I lived um, in the same apartment that I was just talking about, I had a, a, a neighbor that liked to do a lot of crazy extracurricular activities, probably around after midnight. You gotcha. can, you can yep. fill in with that. And she liked her windows open for some reason, too. Oh, wow. Which was weird. And then you also, I remember the neighbor on the other side liked to vacuum at the strangest <laughs> hours. So privacy is a nice thing when you have your own place. It's you certainly might, an you, intangible you have, benefit. You have a little bit more. Um, and then this is something I think people who have kids will understand. It is typical that it is cheaper to buy into a school, a good school district than it is to rent into a good hmm. school district. So if you're, if you're looking at, and at least that's my experience, is that if you're looking at communities that have um, a school system that everybody wants to be a part of, it's expensive to rent into those school systems because it jacks the rent up just because people are trying to get into that school system. So sometimes you can get in there, and um, especially in the long term. And you probably, truthfully, with schools drive so much of property values when you're talking about residential real estate. That's also what will protect you um, on the downside of the appreciation of the assets as well. But that's what I kind of put together, Bo, just to kind of go over the pluses and minuses. Um, I still think we kind of have to talk about in the fact that make sure you can afford. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second, Brian. So, okay, we've arrived at the decision that we want to buy instead of rent. What's a good way to tell how much home you can afford? Are there any good rules of thumb out there? It, it varies. I will tell you because you go to a mortgage broker, they're going to stretch that thing out. I mean, they will they will it is so easy to get approved. I, I shouldn't say that because I will tell you after 2008 2009 market correction. I think they do require more of you. But if you're a person that's made good financial decisions, and, and let's look at it. You're listening to a financial podcast. You're probably a better credit rating, meaning 740, 750 or higher. The banks like to give you money because they feel like you're a good risk for them. And they'll, t- they'll let you load it up. So I always, I, I will tell you, I'm very conservative. I like 25% for housing if you okay. take your gross income. But a lot of people, 20, 28 to Now, is 30. that just the mortgage payment or does that include utilities? I mean, how, how does, is it the total cost of the housing? I, I guess I, I will be, I will be fair because I, I know how much, as I told you, the first, the, the houses I have bought, every one of them has been a stretch. So I don't want to undercut a number so much that it keeps somebody from making a life decision that could be great for them in the long term. So I would say I'd try to keep it under 28 to 30%, but okay. that's everything. That's all inclusive. That's your utilities. That's your insurance. I want your housing to not really be much, to be right under 30%, because if you can, that's everything that it costs to keep a house up. That way you still have money to live life, to, to, to build those memories, to go on a trip every year with your family, to do things that you need to to enjoy life. Because remember, there's there are other things than just being under the roof of your house. And if you have too much house, and you you know, I've seen people that have tried to really stretch this thing out to where they're they're taking that percentage way up above that thirty percent. They they they're house rich but life poor, and that's just not the way to be. And you mentioned that you know this is you've done three houses now, so you sort of a resident expert. For someone who's going out and looking for maybe their first house, are there specific things that you want to avoid or be wary of? And like, do you want to be 
the most expensive house in the neighborhood or the least expensive? Do you want to be the first house built in the neighborhood or the last house? Are the things that you should be careful of when you're making that decision? I would. There's several things because, and I don't even know if this is the way you want me to go with the answer because I know what you're asking in that, and we'll talk about that. But I would tell people to pay attention to location. I think when I first bought my, when I got into my first house, I was so excited about the features of how nice the house was, I could care less about the location. And when you're young, you don't appreciate the value of time as much as you do as you get older. And I've realized it might be better to live in a smaller house in a great location than it is to live in a big house in a horrible, out in the middle of Because think about how much of your life you enjoy. I mean, and maybe it's because, once again, I'm getting more sentimental and older. I love the taste of food. So I like restaurants. I mean, that is one of the great things my wife and I, will, you know, because kids are hard. We hire a babysitter. We go out for a great meal. I savor the taste of great food. And I'm not talking about it has to necessarily be expensive food. I just like good, good food. food yeah. And if you're in a place that has no restaurants, you, you know, you Missing might out. not have made the right decision. Yeah, you might have an extra thousand square feet. But it didn't work out, I think, on quality of life. Sure. Um, it's, it's the same thing, you know, what I've learned also, it's nice if you have the amenities like, you know, vets, you know, for your animals you, that you love and you want to take care of. I've already mentioned that you want to make sure you have restaurants around, banks, drugstores, grocery mm-hmm. stores. These are things that you use all the time. Movie theaters for me, I love that type of stuff. Um, but you're talking about specifically within your neighborhood. Yep. I always tell people, you know, it's it's all right if your neighborhood has a range of prices. It's just you don't typically want to be the most expensive house in the neighborhood. If you can try to be on the below the median price point, it really gives you the most opportunity to to get appreciation, to to have as much flexibility to sell that house. I also tell people pay attention to the trends of what's popular in housing. It's so funny you can go look at houses and you can know exactly when those houses were built based upon the way they're laid out. That's why shows like Property Brothers and others are so popular now is because what they do is they go take houses from the 70s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s that are choppy and now they've made a more open concept. Housing desires and trends change constantly. So you need to be aware of what those things are so that that also directly impacts the market value of that house. Okay. Uh, last last two questions, right? So we kind of, we're still moving along. We decide we want to buy, we find a house. This is sort of a unique time. You already mentioned interest rates are kind of at historic lows. Does it make sense to go with a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage? And then how much does it make sense to put down as a down payment on a house? It's so funny because I have tried it all. I mean, on our first house, we did a traditional 30-year mortgage. Second house, I bought it with a 7-1 interest only. Oh. Yeah, because remember, this is oh. back in the early oh. 2000s. They, you know, they just give you houses back then. So, But then I refinanced from that 7-1 interest only to um, I refinanced into a 15-year mortgage. Okay. And, and here's, my, here's my thought on things. I loved the 15-year product, but there's a big but. I loved the 15-year product because I loved how fast it was paying down the mortgage, meaning that I felt like so much of my money was going to principal every month that it was very rewarding and I was saving a lot of money on interest. But here's what I've recognized. Interest rates are below or right around 4%. Guys, 
who knows in our lifetime if we'll see something like this again? Because realize part of this is an artificial market. Mm -hmm. You know, the rest of the world has kind of screwed things up. So that they're, they're loading up. You have a lot of foreign governments and a lot of foreign investors that are buying our treasuries. And I told you that 10 year treasury is what drives a lot of those long term bond rates, you know, on your mortgage, like the 15 and 30 year. We might not see these interest rates again in our lifetime. So I actually have changed my tune on this. Um, and you've heard me talk mm-hmm. about this before, Bo, is that I think most people should do the 30 year traditional right now. Um, because you can still treat that 30-year traditional like a 15-year mortgage. There's nothing that says you can't prepay. Every mortgage I have seen for a client over the, my entire career, there's no prepayment penalties. Right. Yeah. So you can use, and it, it's very clear on all the disclosures. You can tell if you can prepay, and I have yet to see a, a, a loan that I could not prepay. Um, you can treat it like a 15-year mortgage. So if life gets good and you maybe get some promotions, money starts coming in and it feels flexible, you can treat the 30-year mortgage like a 15-year. Yes, you're probably paying three-quarters of a percent, maybe up to a 1% higher than a 15-year, but that might be worth an insurance premium of the flexibility. Because I, I will tell you, there, the life happens sometimes. You might lose your job, or you just get into a tough patch You know, around the holidays, Christmas. Yeah. Maybe you, know, you spend a little bit extra. It's just, it gives you that additional flexibility doing the 30-year mortgage. Um, that's just my preference, my opinion. There's still nothing wrong with doing a 10-year mortgage, a 15-year mortgage. I just, my personal thought is 30 years are easy. Now, I think I probably know where your next transition point's going to be. What do I think about retirement? Do you carry a mortgage forever? Because you hear people talking about having a mortgage forever um, because it, and there's advisors that are right from an analytical basis that it makes no sense to pay your house off early because you have an arbitrage situation where you, you might could make more on your investments than that low historic interest rate. But I tell people that it's just like your house is not all about the analytics of a situation. There is also just the benefit when you hit retirement of being completely debt-free, not owing anybody anything because there's already enough risk when you quit working and you leave the workforce that you want to make sure that you don't feel that additional stress of how am I going to make the monthly mortgage. So I always advise people that I, I think before you can truly consider yourself retired, you have to be completely debt-free. And we consider that financial independence, that's, not that's owing complete. anybody anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice now. It, you know, There's some great financial advisors, and I don't disagree with them on the analytics, but I tell you, I have clients all the time that I think they sleep so much better when they owe nobody not a dime. Right. I mean, they, they, as long as they pay their property taxes, they get to stay in that house and know that they're going to be in a good financial situation. Last question, down payment, 20%. Is that, I mean, is it a must? You have to put 20% down to buy a house? Well, as we've talked about it, 20% is the ideal. I, mean, I think that's what the banks want you to put down. There are other things, you know, FHA lets you have some flexibility on that. Um, you know, a lot of bit lenders, if you have really good credit, will let you get away with 5%. The problem is the PMI insurance. Okay. Uh, you know, and PMI is that private mortgage insurance where they basically the mortgage company charges a, an insurance policy in case, you know, it protects them. Sure. Um, we have found out, though, that some lenders have gotten creative on there's ways that you can take a premium on the interest rate 
and, and work through some of those things. I think it's also notable that if you are, maybe you haven't paid attention to interest rates and you hear what we're talking about here and you think about refinancing, but you don't know how long you're going to live in the house. Um, I know in the past I have refinanced without paying any closing costs by taking a premium on the interest rate. Usually if you take a premium of three-eighths to a half a percent on the interest rate, meaning that instead of maybe a 4%, which is where market might be, you do a 4.5% interest rate. And, and you know, but it's still cheaper than what you're currently getting, but it's completely, you have no closing costs. Right. And that gives you the chance to, if you know you might move in two to three years, gives you, you don't have to pay all those closing costs and say, gosh, that was sunk cost. You let somebody else carry that. But those are the things, I mean, we hope everybody gets something out of the fact because real estate is one of those incredible lifelong investments. It can truthfully be one of those big things that I hope it gives everybody warm and fuzzies. Maybe I am sentimental just because home ownership was considered one of those paramount things that you know, people, I think that's what got us into 2008 is everybody said real estate can't go down in value. So it's a great, great thing to put money into. And that's what created that bubble. We popped that bubble, but just like the pendulum swim swings so hard to make a bubble, I think sometimes that pessimism swings the other way where people there, you see it, you do a search on Google, you'll see there's a whole group of people in, in your generation, really, mm-hmm. Bo, that say, I don't want to own. I just don't like all that comes with it because there is some some life choices, maintenance, sure. and other things, as well as your freedom to jump up and leave and go to another part of the country. It doesn't happen as easy. But I think as you start to get older, get sentimental like me, you mellow out, you want to establish some roots, you don't want to be as transient, and you want to kind of create a sense of community, it lends itself to home ownership. It's just my own personal opinion. It doesn't mean it ties always to the finances. Life is not always a financial analytical decision. Sometimes the, the gooey stuff gets in there too. So I think that's probably a, a good way to kind of close out this show. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for all the great comments y'all put out there on iTunes. Really appreciate it. Also, holy cow, guys. You know, we did a podcast two episodes ago where we asked about the input on how we market ourselves. You guys have floored us. Um, I don't want you to think that, you know, I know we've written emails to about every one of you guys, but I want you to know it's going beyond that. We'll be making some changes. It just might take us a month, two months. We want to do it right when we make the adjustments. The content will not change, just we might put some some ads on the front. Might let you know in. more about who we are and what we do. Yeah, let you know we're open for business. That this, like I said, we're fee-only financial planners by day, and yet we're going beyond common sense. And, and being that heart of an educator or the rest of the time, that's why we started this podcast back in 2006. So, guys, I'm your host, Brian Preston. Can't wait to talk to you again in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>